Welcome to Life Insurance HQ, the podcast. I'm your host, Jason Miracle. Happy Monday. Today's February 28th, 2022. We're happy to be back. We took last week off uh, to recognize Presence Day. Uh, today, we're going to talk about overfunding uh, permanent life insurance policies and what some of the benefits are and how they work. Uh, you know, overfunding a life insurance policy has been known as a life insurance retirement plan, some call it a Section 7702 plan. The reason people look at overfunding a life insurance policy is because of the accumulation and tax benefit aspect of using life insurance to create what many people refer to as supplemental retirement income. The, the way it works from a very high level perspective is an individual purchases a life insurance policy, a permanent life insurance policy, and they make monthly or quarterly, semi-annual or annual contributions to that policy. And then inside the policy, the cash value grows on a tax deferred basis. So you're not taxed at any time while the policy is in force. And then at the point in which uh, you're ready to retire or access policy values, you can do so via a uh, distribution from the policy. And, and that distribution is either, either treated as a withdrawal or basis. And once you've withdrawn your basis, it is then treated as a loan, which is not taxable to the individual receiving the distribution from the policy. And so using a life insurance policy to help accomplish this can be very beneficial for people uh, interested in accumulating tax-free assets for retirement. It's always been our recommendation that people have essentially three buckets for retirement. Uh, and, and the different buckets represent how assets or cash flows are distributed from those buckets. So in bucket one, you're going to have your qualified plan assets. These are things like your 401ks, your IRAs, et cetera. And these assets, uh, when distributed, are going to be fully taxable as ordinary income to the individual receiving the distribution. Uh, then we have um, what we would call non-qualified assets. These are typically assets that you might have an investment portfolio that are subject to capital gains. So again, in the first bucket, we have ordinary income taxable assets. In the second bucket, we have assets that are subject to capital gains. And then in the third bucket, we have assets that um, have tax preferred distributions or tax free distributions. These are typically your Roth IRAs, in many cases, your municipal bonds. And then your, your third choice kind of in this asset class is life insurance. And so again, the life insurance, the policy cash values grow on a tax deferred basis and are not taxable and distributions are received tax-free in the form of withdrawals to basis and loans. So let's talk a little bit of, about how this works. Uh, generally, you're gonna use probably one of three types of different permanent insurance policies to accomplish this. The first is whole life insurance. Um, when properly designed, whole life insurance can provide a very uh, stable and predictable return 
that allows policy owners to access these, these tax-free uh, values at some point in the future. The second option is an index universal life policy. Today, the example we're going to use is going to be uh, using an index universal life. It's different in, than a whole life policy in that uh, the cash value performance is based on the underlying performance of, of a chosen index account. And we're gonna get more into that a little bit later. The third option is a variable universal life policy. And the variable universal life policy, the cash value is going to grow based on the performance of the sub-accounts in the policy. They typically consist of things that are very similar to mutual funds. They're not exactly mutual funds. They're, they're referred to as sub-accounts. And the cash value is going to grow based on the performance of those sub-accounts that are in the market invested in different asset classes like stocks and bonds and, and things like that. You can essentially build your own portfolio inside of a variable universal life policy. Generally, when we're designing and, and developing these types of programs, one of the things we want to do, there's a couple of things we really want to do. The first is we want to minimize the initial death benefit. And, and the reason we want to do that, if our main goal is to maximize distributions from the policy, is when we minimize the death benefit, what it does is it reduces the expenses of the life insurance policy. So the goal here in this example is to, to reduce the expenses of the policy to allow the cash value of the policy to grow as quickly as possible. It can't do that if we have unnecessary expenses in the form of higher death benefits. So a lot of times when we design these policies, regardless of which of the three types of policies it is, we'll generally begin with a minimum death benefit amount. And that minimum is going to be based on how much premium we want to be able to contribute to the policy on uh, an annual basis, whether our, our, our payments are monthly or, 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 or anything like that. What are we going to contribute annually? And what's the minimum death benefit uh, needed to support that contribution? We our goal here, and, and we're not going to get into it in this conversation, is to avoid the contract uh, from becoming what's called a modified endowment contract, uh, commonly referred to in the industry as a MEC. We do not want to create a MEC because essentially what that does is it makes the distributions from the policy taxable. And so we never want to uh, invoke the, the MEC limitations. So it's very important that we keep that in mind when we design this. The other thing we like to do is when we're uh, solving for that initial death benefit, in order to, again, reduce the costs and maximize the cash flow from the policy, is we want to have an increasing death benefit. And what that means is the, the death benefit is going to increase over time based on the amount of cash value in the policy. So if we have a, and we're going to use this example, uh, let's assume we're putting $24,000 into the policy every year. And when we do our solve for minimum face amount, it comes back and says, well, the minimum face amount is $300,000. Uh, well, $300,000 is going to be our initial death benefit. Now, let's say five years from now, there's $100,000 of cash value in the policy. Well, at the end of the fifth year, we're actually going to have 
a $400,000 death benefit. So with an increasing death benefit, they just simply take the initial death benefit plus the accumulated value of the policy to come up with the increased death benefit. And the reason we, again, we want to do that is to avoid creating a taxable contract and also again, minimizing the, the expenses of the contract. And then at the time in which we're done making contributions to the policy, generally what we'll do is we'll switch it from an increasing death benefit to a level death benefit in order to avoid um, the death benefit growing. Uh, going to a level death benefit, again, minimizes uh, the expenses of the policy. So today we're going to get into uh, an example where we're going to look at a 45-year-old male who is uh, assumed preferred health class, and he wants to contribute $2,000 a month for a 20-year period. And then what we're going to do is we're going to look at uh, what type of distributions they're going to be able to take from the policy from age 66 to age 85 or, or a 25, or I'm sorry, a 20 year period. There are a number of different index universal life policies. One of the things we look at when we're funding an index universal life policy is which policy has the lowest policy expenses because all that policy expenses are going to do is erode um, from ultimately what we're able to achieve when we decide to take those distributions. Now, we did a podcast a few weeks ago about index universal life, but we'll give you a quick overview. So what happens in an index universal life policy is the net premium, that is the premium net of policy expenses goes into an index. The most common and the one that we're going to use in this example is an S&P 500 point-to-point -point index. And all that means is that that net premium is going to go into that index segment. They're going to look at the value of the index on day one of when the segment is created. And then they're going to look at the value of that index at the end of a one-year period. So if we have a $1,000 value today, or, or the value of the index is 1,000 today, and it grows to 1100 one year from now, then that's going to be a 10% index growth for that particular segment. Now, with these index policies, with a lot of the indexes, they'll be subject to a cap rate. So if I have a cap rate of eight and it grows by 10%, then the carrier is going to credit the policy 8%. Now, you may be saying, hey, well, that's not fair. And it's not fair to a certain extent if you understand that if instead of the index growing from 1,000 to 1,100, and instead it, it goes down and goes from 1,000 to 900, well, the carrier is going to credit that policy or that cash value 0%. So in years where that index may perform negatively, they're going to credit you 0% and not the full um, decline of that index. Now, that doesn't mean that policy expenses won't continue because they will. So you will take a little bit of a hit and it will be likely negative just simply because we don't have any earnings in the policy to offset some of the expenses. We can get into more of those details uh, on a call or, or at some other time, um, but that's essentially how it works. So if you have an understanding of how that index works, then you can understand how the policy is going to grow. And so we assumed, again, putting $2,000 a month in for 20 years and then beginning monthly distributions at age 66 for 20 years. We assumed uh, three different 
uh, hypothetical projected rates of return. We started at a 5% rate of return, looked at five and a quarter. And then for the particular carrier we're using, they have a max illustrative rate of 5.49%. Now, nothing says it can't be higher. Nothing says it won't be lower. Again, it's tied to the performance of the underlying index that's being used to determine how the policy cash value is credited. So assuming a 5% uh, projection, we're able to uh, illustrate a uh, annual distributions. And again, they're gonna be made on a monthly basis, but a total annual distribution beginning at age 66 of $62,732 over a 20 year period. So you'd be able to, again, assuming we, we get that 5%, we're going to be able to access $62,732 per year for a total of $774,641 on a tax-free basis. And at the end of that period of time, we're still going to have a death benefit, albeit a relatively small death benefit, of around $60,000 that may kind of go up and down based on how long we live past that. Now, the other benefit to, to doing this is we have the life insurance. So if anytime we pass away, our beneficiary is going to receive a death benefit payment for the amount of the outstanding death benefit. And so even if we've taken some distribution, there's still a death benefit that's going to be paid. So this can also, while, while we're doing this for accumulation, it can also provide uh, a death benefit to our beneficiaries if something were to happen to us before we're ultimately able to access policy cash values. And that death benefit's going to be received income tax-free, depending on the size of it. It may be subject to estate taxes, but right now with most of the case we're see cases we're seeing, it, it, it's more likely than not that it won't be subject to an estate tax. And so what happens, again, assuming this 5% rate, is we're going to um, receive uh, roughly 770 we're going to receive $772,000 in, uh, in distributions from the policy. We're going to have contributed $480,000. And what's interesting is we're going to start out with an initial death benefit of $365,430. By the time we're done funding it and we reach age 64, my death benefit will have grown to just under $1.1 million. Now, if I assume a 5.25% crediting rate, um, I'll be able to access $65,883 per year. And my death benefit will have grown you know, from 1.1 to about 1.12 million. If I assume a 5.49% uh, projected illustrated crediting rate, I'll be able to access about $69,000 per year all of this, again, is going to be tax-free um, to the owner of the policy that they can use for retirement income. What we like about this is we don't know what the tax environment is going to be like in 20, 30 years from now. So depending on you know if we're in a high uh, tax bracket or high tax rate, taxes are high 30 years from now, it would make sense to not use our taxable assets, our IRAs or 401ks, 
and access tax-free income from the policy. Now, in times where tax rates may be lower relative to what's going on, it may make more sense to access taxable assets instead of tax-free assets, just because we're going to get uh, access to, to greater net assets on those distributions, which is why we like having these three different buckets um, to be able to pick and choose from, because we don't know what the environment's going to be during retirement. And so uh, overfunding a life insurance policy for accumulation, if designed correctly, can be very advantageous to the policy owner. Again, we've shared with you crediting rates of 5%, 5.2, There's no crystal ball that says what it's going to actually be. Depending on the policies, there's a lot of other considerations you're going to want to make. The key is to find a policy that has lower expense ratios. Um, one of the features that we always include on our overfunded life insurance designs or life insurance for retirement planning designs is there's a writer called an overloan protection writer. And what that does is it makes sure that the policy doesn't lapse at any point um, after distributions have been made. So we think that's an important piece. Traditionally, it doesn't cost much, if anything, to, to add that writer to a policy. And it can make a lot of sense for people that are interested in this. So again, that's a that's a brief overview of how this works. We hope you uh, enjoyed this. If you have any questions, let us know. Uh, you can always email us at lihq at miracleco. That's M as in Mary, E-R-I-C-L-E-C-O.com. You can visit us on the web at miracleco.com. Again, that's M-E-R-I-C-L-E-C-O.com. We, uh, we hope you are enjoying your day. We hope you have a great rest of the day and we'll look forward to catching up with you next week. Thanks so much. Thank you.